You're listening to the First Baptist Church Broken Arrow podcast. To learn more about the church, visit us at fbcba.org. Today's sermon comes from our pastor, Dr. Matt Brooks. My name is Matt Brooks. Just want to welcome you to First Baptist Church of Broken Arrow. If you would, open your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew this morning, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, we excitingly are going to conclude a four-week series that we've been calling Multiply, which is celebrating the midpoint of a two-year initiative that the Lord has given our church, and we've been asking him in this greater still season for greater ministry, greater missions, and a greater future. We have, by God's grace, have taken four weeks to remind ourselves of what we set out to do, to celebrate what God has done to communicate where we are going. And today, what I want to do is prayerfully through Matthew chapter 13, communicate to you your role as we multiply disciples in be and beyond to follow Jesus. Now to that end, our Next Steps team members are taking their positions. We have a multiply discipleship guide that we've written in-house for you. It's been a wonderful opportunity from the biblical text to apply to what God is doing in our church and ministry and missions and future. Some of you may still want one of these guides. So if you would please raise your hand. We'd love to give you one of these. This is something devotionally you can walk through personally in your home, even with your family. We also have a commitment card in these discipleship guides, which I will lead us through in a time of dedication at the end of our services. So our Next Steps teams are taking any of these you need. Just please raise your hand. We would love to give you one of these. Our country has produced some of the most iconic titans of industry the world has ever known. Rockefeller, Carnegie, J.P. Morgan, Michael Scott. However, James W. Marshall could have perhaps eclipsed all of them. You say, who in the world is James W. Marshall? James W. Marshall was integral in starting the California Gold Rush of 1848. Now, inauspiciously, Marshall was just a remote carpenter. He was a sawmill operator who was hired by the man by the name of John Sutter to specifically fix his mill in Coloma, California, or 36 miles north of Sacramento. And on the morning of January 24th, 1848, while Marshall was fixing this mill, he noticed something in the ground that he'd never seen before. As he began to excavate with his shovel what this substance was, he all-inspiringly found gold. And immediately he contacted his benefactor, Mr. Sutter. Now, they amazingly tried to keep this a secret between themselves, but it wasn't soon before their newfound treasure was known around the world. In fact, we have historical evidence that Zachary Taylor, our country's 12th president, no more than a month after this discovery on January 24th, was in his presidential address telling the world that they had found gold in California. Now, Marshall and Sutter, as stewards of this gold, had a choice. Sutter had originally come to California under the dream of purchasing 50,000 acres to start at that time the largest timber company in all of North America. The more timber, the better. But unfortunately for Sutter, he did not purchase this land. He simply leased this land. And as the proclamation of gold and treasure began to spread throughout the entire world, All people, it seemed, were selling all of their livelihood, all of their possessions to find their fortune and fame in California. So those from the East Coast to the South to the Great Plains in which you and I lived, even Hawaii, Europe, and Asia, left all to find their treasure in California. 
Tragically, upon this discovery, Mr. Sutter, unable to now secure the leases of these 50,000 acres, lost it all. For appellate courts, district judges gave his land to now squatters from all over the world. You see, these men were unable to let go of lesser treasures to receive and secure their greatest treasure. And in doing so, they lost everything. And that's what I want to talk to you about spiritually today from Matthew chapter 13. Jesus in Matthew 13, for the first time, speaks in a series of seven parables. He is speaking specifically to his disciples, his committed followers of the necessity and demands of absolute discipleship. Now remember, parables were a common form of teaching in Judaism. Parables are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning, and this form of teaching dominated Christ's teachings throughout the Gospels. In fact, most historians say right at 33% of all Jesus' teaching was in parables. Now amazingly, by God's grace, the two shortest parables given by Christ in the Gospels are found right here in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. And in these parables, Jesus calls his listeners to value the kingdom of heaven above all things by doing so, by generously living out the demands of this kingdom joyfully as they value and treasure Christ above all things. You see, all our lives, we have been seeking treasure. That in every single one of us, that there are two great drives in the universe. Number one, the glory of God and his kingdom. Number two, the glory of ourselves and our own. Your life is currently building one of these two kingdoms. And that is why from Genesis to Revelation, the biblical authors place this impetus on this grand central theme that you were made by God to live for God and his glory, that you were made to build God's kingdom. You were made to allow God's kingdom to thrive in and through you. And that is why throughout the Bible, there are 2,300 verses on stewardship and money and possessions because what we do with these lesser treasures that God has blessed us with gives the indicator of who's the greatest treasure. Jesus modeled this better than anybody as he allocated a significant amount of his teaching to specifically generosity, money and possessions and how we handle these things. In fact, did you realize that of the 38 parables given in the gospels, 16 of them deal with stewardship or possessions. In fact, 15% of Jesus' teaching, he taught specifically on money and our stewardship of these things. You want to know why? Because generosity is not something God wants from us, but for us. How do we live a life in this crazy world that matters? How do we live a life that says to all who watches us and is around us, my life counts? How do we live a life that says Jesus first in our hearts in our lives, with our possessions, and what he blesses us with. And that is what, from Matthew 13, we are going to go over this morning. A life that champions Jesus first above all things. With this in mind, why don't we give our hearts to Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 through 46. And your Bible says this. Jesus is teaching, and he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now Jesus builds on the previous parable mentioned in verse 44. 
He describes here a man who was so overjoyed by discovering this invaluable treasure that he joyfully sells everything to buy and secure a field and thus the treasure. The man would do anything for the treasure. And this is exactly how we are to see Jesus. That as Christ is our greatest treasure, he has an incalculable value to us. That his kingdom is the superlative treasure of our lives. That nothing gives us greater desire, nothing gives us greater fulfillment, nothing will give us a greater legacy than championing Christ above all things. The greatest purpose that God has given us is to build his kingdom and not our own. To seek his glory, not our own. As his disciples to follow him as we champion Jesus first above all things. And Jesus now reinforcing this truth says in verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Jesus uses this word kingdom, basile, to describe here something that is not visible, but invisible. That is not temporal, but eternal. That is not geographic territory defined by latitude or longitude, but the rule and reign and supreme authority of God through Jesus Christ in all things. That we are as a way of life to champion Christ and his kingdom above everything else. This so dominates the hearts of the New Testament writers that they mention this phrase, kingdom of heaven, with this intention in mind 160 other times in the New Testament. You want to know why? Because life is defined not by what you have, but what has you. If Jesus is king of your life, then he will reign over everything in your life. Jesus is everything to us. And as followers of Christ, as we follow King Jesus, we live for the sake of his name. We live for the fame of his kingdom as the highest priority in all of life. In fact, you remember what Jesus says of this sin in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthews 5 through 7? Arguably the greatest sermon ever given. At the apex of this sermon, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, but you, he says, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things shall be added unto you. That if you prioritize as a way of life, Christ as king over all things, and thus everything in your life then is a means to fulfill and bring him glory, all of these other things, Jesus says, shall be added unto you. Jesus is always to be more important and more satisfying than his blessings and gifts in our lives. That Jesus desires for his people to wholeheartedly commit, to intentionally pause if need be, to live under his guidance as he transforms their lives by his rule and reign in every activity in their lives. You see, the value of the kingdom of heaven is seen in the precious and priceless life of Christ, who is king of the universe, chose to give of his life, to redeem and to restore us. Therefore, nothing in this entire universe can match our king, can match his priceless kingdom in the hearts of his people. 
And so Jesus tells his listeners in Matthew 13, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. You see this word merchant here? It's of a word emporos in the original languages. It speaks of an individual who would sell out to the seas as a dealer or entrepreneur to sell goods. You see, in the ancient world, it was common for a merchant to travel from country to country. He would gather supplies and goods, and then he would sell them to a vendor who then would sell them for a profit. Now, ironically, merchants in Jesus' day didn't always have the best reputation. You want to know why? Because they often sold single-item goods like oils and vegetables and fruits, often of questionable quality. What's Jesus' point? You see, interestingly, wealth in Jesus' day consisted primarily of three things, clothing, food, and money. And many people in Jesus' day who desired to diversify their investments would not invest in oil or vegetables or fruits, but rather pearls, which were equivalent to diamonds today. You see, pearls were highly valued. Some biblical commentators think they're the most desired item on earth at the time of Jesus' teaching in the ancient world, more so than even gold. Have you ever thought about the incredible wonder that the Lord works to make a pearl? You see, a speck of sand or a parasite invades an oyster. And an oyster, in order to combat this intruder, secretes naturally, given by God, a substance called knacker that immobilizes this speck of sand or this parasite. That begins to, as it surrounds it completely, crystallize over and over and over again. And before you know it, something that was awful, something that was undesirable, miserable, can now be beautiful. Remember this point when we study verse 46. Can you see now why pearls had such value? You see, divers who were to seek these pearls would often risk their life. They would as they traveled to the Red Sea or the Persian Gulf and the Indian Ocean to find these pearls would tie rocks around their legs would either jump or be pushed off cliffs and would have what? Three to four minutes to go to the bottom and to secure these pearls back and forth and back and forth. Many of these divers would lose their lives. No wonder the Jewish Talmud cites the pearl as priceless beyond anything else in life. The Egyptians historically worshipped pearls. In fact, Cleopatra dissolved the pearl at a party one time, estimated at $10 million. And in front of her entire audience, she put this now dissolved pearl into a cup and drank it before her audience, displaying the opulence and power of the Egyptian empire. The Greeks simply believed that pearls were formed by the dew of the gods. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who in search of fine pearls gave up all he had to receive this pearl. You see, pearls were invaluable in antiquity and apparently even in eternity. 
In fact, did you realize according to Revelation chapter 21, verse 21, that God will spare no expense in his construction of the new heaven and that every gate, 12 in totality, will be made of a pearl. Jesus here uses an imagery of an earthly treasure to transition to his point about a heavenly treasure. And he says in verse 46, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now you notice the proactiveness and intentionality of this merchant? This man would do whatever it took to secure the pearl. This merchant was not like the mundane servant in verse 44. He had a shrewd eye as an entrepreneur. He knew the intrinsic value and worth of this pearl, and he acted accordingly. This merchant's livelihood, his family's vitality, depended upon his assessment of the profitability of this pearl. Consequently, this man gave it all to secure it. You want to know why? Because we measure the value of something by what we gladly sacrifice or give up to keep or to obtain it. This man willingly impoverished his family. He willingly bankrupt himself, gave up everything for this one pearl. You see, he did not need anything else. He said, well, wait a minute, isn't it just one pearl? It's just one. I mean, how much was this pearl? We don't know. What we do know is about 10 years ago, there was a 75-pound pearl in the, in the Philippines that sold for $100 million. Was that this pearl? We don't know. How much was it? We don't know. All we know is that to the merchant, it was priceless. You see, the merchant's focus was not on what he was giving up, but are you ready for this? By what he gained. You see, in giving all that he had, he gained all that he needed. Do we have this same view of Christ as we are living for Christ? Do we focus on what we are giving up or we focus on what we've gained? You see, the Bible represents the word treasure as something of extreme value that is pursued or protected or preserved at all cost. To treasure Christ like this merchant did with this pearl, it means that we must commit totally to Jesus Christ with all of our being as the greatest priority in all our lives. Jesus wants all of us. And following him is a priceless, grace-filled privilege that is to have the highest priority in our lives. Now think about that for a minute. As you look through your week, as you go over your calendar, who or what has had the highest priority in your life? What would your calendar and your Excel sheets, your bank accounts, what you give your eyes to and your heart to, how you spend your free time, what would it display? Did you realize, according to an article in the Wall Street Journal, that people spend over 50% of their day thinking about how to potentially seek or keep money or possessions? 
Do you see how free, how intentional this merchant lived? Once he knew the value of the pearl. It changed his life and thus changed everything in his life. Jesus can do the same. You see, when you treasure Jesus, he begins to transform your life from being self-centered to Jesus-centered. From being money or possession-driven to being kingdom-driven. To being thing-consumed because we're thing-oriented. To being kingdom-oriented. God is glorified most when we treasure Jesus more than anything else. The great theologian John Piper was right when he says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That Jesus through this parable calls us to a willful transaction. That we give everything over to him. He consequently gives everything we need to us. The emphasis in verse 46 is an intentionality to be willing to abandon anything that stands in your way of a wholehearted allegiance, of following Christ and building his kingdom. It is an acknowledgement that true treasure, the utmost satisfaction, is not found in us being king or growing our kingdoms, but Jesus as king and building his. It is an acknowledgement above all things that he and he alone is greater than anything else in me. And can I tell you, throughout the Bible, through both Genesis and Revelation, that God has done abundantly more through individuals who have this conviction, who wholeheartedly give their allegiance and trust through the display of stewardship in their lives, that God is greater than what we have or what we ever could get on our own. It is within this testimony that God has been working in and through the hearts of his people at First Baptist Church of Broken Arrow. It is through this intent that we've seen God work greater still in ministry and missions and future. It is this life of faith and commitment that God will give a legacy to all who faithfully, intentionally invest in securing him as their greatest treasure. And it's from the overflow of these individuals cherishing Christ that I want you now to look to the screens and celebrate the faithfulness of God and how he works by faith through people who treasure him above all things. Look to the screens. We were in Oklahoma City and, and had the opportunity to move to Tulsa. Uh, active in church in Oklahoma City. Uh, weren't looking to move, but it was a good opportunity for us. So we we came up here, and Lauren uh, uh, we put Lauren in school at Holland Hall, and had friends that were there that I'd played golf with. And he said, "Need to come visit first Baptist," and walked into the facility downtown. I told Cindy we walked in, sat down, and and there was peace. This was where we were supposed to be. Well, we moved them up here. Probably a year or so before uh, Joyce and I moved here, and the first thing that happened, Cindy called me and said, "Daddy, where where are you all going to go to church?" 
He walked in and I guess had the same feeling Russ did. And uh, I looked around and I agreed with her. I said, I, I believe you're right. This is where we ought to be. We've been members of this church since 1995. And we've seen so many things that have happened because of God and because of his timing. And we've seen a lot of kids that have, have uh, given their life to Christ. Uh, we've seen a lot of mission focus, and I think that's very important for our church. So um, it's just kind of an all-around uh, ministry of our church. And I think we've hit every aspect that the Lord has asked us to. I think the biggest thing for me is um, to be able to have all of us under one roof. And that's what I'm most excited about, getting our people, our offices into a facility that won't be blown away. <laughs> and uh, just to have it all under one roof, I think is gonna be a great thing. I feel like that uh, what we have seen in our lifetime there of the building programs that we've had, that this is gonna be the tops. This is gonna put us where we've always dreamed it was going, wanting to be all these years since the very first time we started up there. So I, I'm really uh, pleased with it and I believe in it. And if, if you haven't started, you're not too late yet. You can still start. We've seen God's generosity in our lives and you give to get to give again. And that's the way we've approached it for a long, long time. This is the first church that we've ever belonged to that's debt-free, completely. The church today, and Pastor Matt has got the same uh, theories that we're not gonna be in debt. And uh, I'll assure you, uh, this church has blossomed because of decisions made like that. So if you're thinking about waiting to see what happens, uh, you're missing out. Cause it's gonna happen. It, it, yeah. it, it's gonna happen. And to be a part of it is exciting. God can do immeasurably more through a life who says, I will treasure Jesus first above all things. Jesus and Jesus alone in his kingdom is the pearl of infinite value. He is our greatest treasure. He is the end of life. You see, Jesus alone, unlike any other thing, is daily reliable and eternally desirable. It is Christ and Christ alone that, that is faithful to meet the sufficient satisfaction in anything we need as we follow him. Not just today, but forever. That Christ then is eternally desirable for those hearts who have been given completely to him. For after finding Christ, we treasure Christ by not allowing the short-term, always-taking, never-satisfying, me-centered pleasures of this world to consume our lives. No, we display generosity, which is a commitment to not allow the lesser treasures to ever overcome the priority and the glory of the greatest treasure, the Lord Jesus Christ. We choose to give up all we are to receive all that he is then. Therefore, we willingly sell or let go anything that keeps us from knowing and following Christ. That it is Jesus and his kingdom that determines our spending, that determines our saving, that determines our giving and going and living as we follow him. It is the willingness of our sacrifice 
and the depths of our joy, just like this merchant, do we, by God's grace, display how much we treasure Jesus. Because we know with Jesus comes a treasure that never goes away. There are a few times in your life where you ever see God move. There are a few times in his church that you'll ever say, you know what? This is the movement of God among his people. And by God's grace, God has so chosen us for such a time as this. That as we now head towards a time of commitment, where we champion Jesus first as a way of life and ministry and missions and future, may the world see the glory of God in and through the faithfulness of his people. Would you grab this commitment card that was on your seat as you walked in? We have asked you now for four weeks to see this through three lens. One, a new commitment. As Steve said earlier, many of you are new to our church. You're seeing the work that God is doing in and through our church. This is an opportunity for you, perhaps some for the first time in your life, to give to God's kingdom, to prioritize Jesus first in all aspects of your life, with your talent, your time, and your treasures. This day is for you. For some of you, it's to finish. It's a celebration and affirmation that God always finishes what he starts. And so as you looked upon this year and as you've met with your family and those within your home, you began to assess once and for all, are we doing this? This is what God put in our heart 365 days ago. Is we still living for Jesus first? Are we still championing him above all things? This is a wonderful time to pray for the Lord to finish, to commit once again to what it is that God started in your heart for his glory. For some, it's also an increase. It's an increase of faith, an increase of the faithfulness of the blessing that God has given you as steward of such blessing. Lord, in this time, this is my best. This is our best. And we will trust you with the rest. Today is your day as well. And so it is in a moment. I will close this time with prayer. And I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to go over this card with your heart and for those that God has placed in your home. I would encourage you to work through this card. It has been set up with you in mind. I will then come up afterwards and we'll have a formal time of dedication. And we will present our best, just like God's people have done numerous times throughout the Bible, to the Lord. And we'll trust him with the rest. And as we worship together, you will come forward and we'll have a time of celebration in our commitments to the Lord. I will then come back up afterward and we'll close our service officially as we continue to champion Christ first above all things. But before we do that, there are certain days in the life of God's people that we set as markers, that we set as reminders of God's faithfulness to us. And church, I want to put this in your mind to embed this in your heart. March the 19th, we are celebrating Big Give Sunday. It'll be an opportunity to announce our new commitments in the hearts of God's people, uh, hopefully to, to begin to bring into focus just our transition into phase one and what this means, and hopefully this will expedite that entire process as we glorify the Lord. But it will also be an affirmation of the celebration of faith and faithfulness of God's people. Some of you, you are giving for the very first time. God has blessed you in ways that are incalculable. You never thought God would do this much in your life. And now, as a result of that blessing, it is your turn to be a blessing. And we're going to celebrate that and the faithfulness of what God can do in a start. We're also going to affirm God's faithfulness to finish. 
And you're going to see God do miracles throughout this year. And even though these things don't make sense, and even though your heart and feelings and emotions are going one way, your faith is resound to move another. And so we're going to pray for God's blessing. And as you give God's best, we're going to trust him with the rest together. We're going to finish what God has started. We're also going to celebrate increases, the miracles that God will do in and through his people, some that we've already seen in ministry and missions and future. May God have his way in and through his people. May God bless a group of people that says we will willingly set aside all lesser treasures to wholeheartedly pursue the greatest treasure, the Lord Jesus Christ. May God multiply his faith and blessing and generosity through his people as we champion Jesus first above all things. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe to hear other messages. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us online at fbcba.org. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and always remember, you are loved.